Hi, hello, welcome. 欢迎大家 to another episode of Hot and Sour Soup for the Soul. I'm your host Adrian Han, and today is going to be a solo episode. It'll just be yours truly, and you and I are going to talk about the power of paradox, and specifically the power of pronouns of we and me, and how we can harness we and me. So we can break new ground in finding our personal path in what often feels like this binary fork in the road between individualism and collectivism. To set the stage, let me begin by sharing the inspiration behind this episode. If you've been following this podcast series, the name Anna Lee might ring a bell. She is a former mechanical engineer from Amazon turned sex tech co-founder at Lioness. We featured her a few episodes ago. On her episode, we talked about Lewin's equation, an observation that got its start in social psychology circles, which then manifested in the abstract equation B equals FPE, behavior equaling the function of a person interacting with their environment. Safe to say that over the course of the pandemic, our environments have changed dramatically, and I think we have seen changes in behavior as a result. We have more time to spend with ourselves, to think more critically about what we spend our time on, what we spend our energy on, and fewer social distractions. And I would venture to say that a lot of the social and civic movements that we've seen over the past year are a result of us more closely interrogating our relationship with ourselves and the communities that we belong to. Environments have changed, and as a result, paradigms and behavior have as well. We're reassessing whether or not hustle culture, that rise and grind mentality, the money bags for breakfast motto, if that is a ideology that is sustainable and that actually serves us in the long term. We've also seen changes in behavior in regards to racial identity and race relations. With Black lives, with Asian lives, we're making inroads to moving away from the notion of. What's your problem versus what's my problem? We're breaking down that partition because if we're American, it's a we problem. Rallying around the notion of we that we are in this together in order to see material change, there can't be an us and them. It needs to be a collective, unilateral effort. Language is often a harbinger of behavioral change, and what I've noticed is that we have. Much more of an affinity to use collective pronouns like "we" to describe both the problems that we face and the solutions that we are seeking. And I say, power to that. There is so much power in a pronoun, and specifically in "we." So, with that said, today let's talk about individualism, collectivism, and how to find our personal. Customized in between of the two, so we can take the best of individualism, the prevailing ideology of the West, with the best of collectivism. We're in regular contact with sayings that speak to the essence of these two ideologies. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Collectivism. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Individualism. Or the proverb: If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. There's a time and a place for all these behaviors. 
to make individualism and collectivism work for us, we need to get comfortable holding this tension. So today is an exercise in harnessing the power of pronouns, getting us comfortable with paradox, and enabling us to shift between individual and collectivist so that we can achieve the goals that we want to achieve for ourselves and for our communities. This is going to be fun. Let's start with step one. This one is an interactive round, so we can understand where we skew between individualist and collectivist. To do that, we are going to run three different experiments, and I will guide you with my voice over this podcast. Magic of airwaves. All right, here we go. For the first test, I am going to list off three words, and I want you to select two of the three that you find to be most related. Ready? First word, train. Second word, bus. Third word, track. Train, bus, track. Name the two related objects. I'm going to guess you either bundled bus and train together because both are modes of transportation, or you bundled train and track together since one is critical for the function of another. So this test is called a triad test and is borrowed from a 2012 study out of UC Berkeley, Go Bears, where they looked at holistic versus elemental reasoning and found that collectivists tend to be more holistic in the way that they look at problems and are most focused on the relationships and the context between various objects, while the individualists are more focused on the separate elements and categories. The UC study found that those individuals who bundled together bus and train belonged to a cohort of individualist elemental thinkers who were more likely to think in terms of predetermined categories, and those who bundled train and track belong to that group of collectivist holistic thinkers who are most likely to think in terms of fluid societal roles. Okay, time for test number two. For this one, I want you to go to your desktop or mobile web browser of choice and pull up an image with a distinct foreground and background. That is an image with something going on front and center but also a decent amount happening in the background. Now, spend about 10 seconds looking at this photo and I'll meet you back here. Welcome back. So in those 10 seconds, what were you focused on while looking at that photo? Were you focused on the foreground of the image, the focal point? Or did you find yourself more intrigued by what was happening in the background? This experiment is akin to one done at the University of Michigan, where they used eye tracking technology to study the variations in eye movement between cultures when viewing an image. And what they found was that individuals from Asia, generally a more collectivist society, 
spent more time looking at the background to glean context and understand how the various components of the image were all working together, hearkening back to that holistic thinking that we were talking about earlier. Whereas the study participants from America, a more individualistic society, were more likely to spend time looking at the focal point of the image, the objects, the people that were front and center. Okay, so we have two data points now on this individualism to collectivism spectrum. Let's add a third to the self-assessment. For this one, if you have a pen and paper handy, grab that. If you don't, all good. We can also visualize within our heads. And here is the prompt for that drawing and or visualization. I want you to draw a diagram of your core social network, including yourself in that web. So from you, extend out a few lines to friends, family, mentors, colleagues, the people in your core network. Don't have to include everyone. Nobody will know if they were included or not. I won't tell. So let's just do a quick diagram here with 10 seconds on the clock. Pencils down. Okay. Surprise. I am not actually interested in knowing how big that network was or who was included on it. I am interested in how you appear in that diagram. How large are you in this diagram? How large are you relative to the individuals in your network that you've noted? There's a positive correlation between your size and your sense of individualism. The University of Chicago ran this test a few years ago, and they saw that individualists tend to draw themselves larger in this web, connecting themselves to their friends and associates, relative to collectivists who would draw everyone the same size, including themselves. So how did we do? Do you skew more individualist or collectivist? To recap, in the first test, the bus, train, and track selection, the triad test. If you picked bus and train, that's one point towards individualist. And if you picked train and track, that's one point towards collectivist. For the second test, the image round, assessing our focal tendencies. If you spent more time looking at the foreground, one tally towards individualist. Alternatively, if you spent more time observing the background and how those background elements interacted with the foreground, 1.2 collectivist. Finally, for the network diagram round, which served as a gauge of our sense of self, if you drew yourself larger than the individuals in your network, that's a point to individualist. And if you drew yourself about the same size as all other individuals in that diagram, that's 1.2 collectivist. Side note, if you're interested in learning more about any of these studies, I will leave links to all of this research conducted by UC Berkeley, U Michigan, and you Chicago in the show notes. And with that, we're complete with step one of this process to harnessing the power of paradox and the power of pronouns, treading between the we and the me. Now that we have a more intimate, real-time understanding of where we lie on the spectrum of individualism to collectivism, let's move to step two, the forward-looking component to this, knowing which direction of the spectrum we can get more comfortable with so we are better equipped to flex between the
the me and the we, and to flex between going alone and going together depending on the situation at hand. To start part two, a little bit about myself and my journey treading between the we and the me, balancing default tendencies with an intentional counterweight to arrive at a personal calibration between the we and the me that I've found to be most productive. So I'm a first generation Asian American. I was born in China and at age three, my parents and I emigrated to the U.S., And I would go back to China often during summers from elementary through middle school. So I spent my formative years around a lot of Eastern influence, a part of the world that skews much more collectivist. And there's no doubt in my mind that that Eastern influence permeates my subconscious. When operating on autopilot, my default way is to be thinking about how my actions and the effects of those actions play in the context of the we, the collective. Of course, growing up in the U.S., I have also come to nurture my individualist mindset, particularly upon exiting academic systems and entering into the professional workplace. I became acutely aware of how important individualism is, especially when you are earlier on in your career and working as an individual contributor Being comfortable with being the squeaky wheel, with shining the spotlight on yourself, is imperative. Of course, table stakes is that good work is done. Great work, ideally. But building from there, oftentimes a direct manager is too busy to constantly be keeping tabs on what you're doing and how you are succeeding in the areas of responsibility. So it's important to keep an inventory of those wins and refer back to them actively when you are chatting with your boss and perhaps your boss's boss, that way you are top of mind when there is talks about promotions, when there is talk about salary adjustments. And that was something that took a little bit of intentionality to come to the understanding that when shining the light on me, I was not detracting from the team. I was not detracting from the unit. It was an opportunity to provide my boss with the ammo that they would need to go and negotiate for more resources for both the team and for me, the direct report. Then a few years in, when I started to manage a team, I came to realize that my we mentality really came in handy because when I would negotiate for more resources for the team, it would be anchored to the we. All of The me goals were also anchored to the we goals because I knew that if the team had more headcount, had more budget, the benefits would be reaped by the we. So it made me a fiercer negotiator as well. I was fueled by a professional we and a personal we. My professional we being the team at work and knowing how hard they were working, wanting to provide them with the right career opportunities to keep making progress towards their professional goals, along with their financial goals and making sure that their salary was allowing them to achieve the financial freedom that they hoped for themselves. For my personal we, that included my friends and my family, the people that I hold near and dear who I wanted to treat and I knew that having a higher income and a more accelerated promotional track would enable me to be in a position to do that. 
By tying my self-advocacy to a collectivist perspective, it gave negotiating purpose and set me up to be a more fearless negotiator. In this process, I came to the realization that individualism is not inherently good or bad, nor is collectivism. The most game-changing power comes from being able to move between the two. And for sure, it takes intentionality, but we as humans are incredibly adaptable and flexible as we demonstrate time and time again. And additionally, studies have shown that individualist and collectivist perspective are a result of nurture. Recently, a study out of the UK followed a Bangladeshi community as they emigrated from Bangladesh to the UK. They found that while in Bangladesh, these individuals tended to skew collectivist in their behavior. But after emigrating to the UK for a few years, they had shifted to a more individualistic perspective. All this to say that if we take the time to address our blind spots, well first, if we take the time to get aware and acquainted with our blind spots, address them and bring them into visibility, there's nothing stopping us from gracefully entertaining door number three, the in-between of we and me. I think we can all appreciate the swagger, self-esteem, and ownership that can come from individualism and from attributing success and failure to our individual actions, but overestimating our abilities And continuously prioritizing personal achievement over group success has its shortcomings. Same goes for collectivism. Groundedness and environmental awareness are awesome, but being too fixated on the feelings of others and the bounds of not rocking the boat can inhibit our abilities to question convention along with our abilities to catalyze changes to the status quo, some changes which our communities may desperately need. So what does this all mean? It means that it greatly benefits us to beef up the ideology that may not come as naturally and getting better at holding tension between these two ideologies so we can live out the proverb we mentioned at the start of this episode. That is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Sometimes speed is of the essence. We need to go fast and we need to go alone. Other times, we need the enduring engine of the collective. We're embarking on a marathon, and we need a team to get to our destination. With that, we conclude step two, acknowledging the value of holding tension between individualism and collectivism. So far, we have figured out where we lie on that sliding scale of the two, and we have unearthed the unassuming power in getting comfortable with that middle ground. Now, let's get into step three of this episode, the final act, where we talk about some actionable steps to building that comfort. So let's start with those of us who skew more towards the collectivist side, who are more focused on we over me. Sometimes we do have to get comfortable with putting ourselves in the spotlight and focusing on me. If this is you, here is some food for thought. There is a study done by Harvard Business School where they looked at the relationship between gender and likelihood to negotiate salary. What they found was that men were far more likely to negotiate their pay than women. The caveat here is once a woman becomes a mother, 
And as a dependent, she is much more likely to start negotiating at the same frequency as her male counterpart. If you are more of a collectivist, the beauty here is that you don't need to have a dependent to get into this mindset. Think about the unit in which you operate in, your family, your friends, and let that motivate you to negotiate for the resources that you wish to have. When you go into a salary negotiation, when you go to talk to your boss about getting a promotion, it's not about just the me. You are helping to secure those resources to help elevate the lives of those around you, to help elevate the lives of your unit. With more pay, you are able to treat your family to a vacation. With more pay, you are able to foot the bill of a birthday celebration for a friend that you hold near and dear. You are able to have more funds to donate to those causes that you care about, to start those grassroots efforts to create the change that you want to see in your community in areas that you are most passionate about. Your me can be anchored to the we, and as a result, you have a whole community that you're advocating for every time that you advocate for yourself. And contrary to the Harvard Business School study, you don't need to be a parent to access that fuel. No crying babies, but the same propensity to self-advocate. Now, for those of us that skew more on the individualistic side, with the focus on the me over the we, the main lever here is just to shift our focus. Rather than focusing inward into how we're feeling, into what we want to say, into what we want to do, just take a beat and turn all that attention outwards to the environment that you're in, to the people that you are around, physically or virtually, probably the latter at the moment. It's startling when you realize how much of a difference one can feel when one turns that attention outwards. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I definitely see in myself that, you know, when I get anxious, when I am stressed and there's just constant chatter in my head, it's usually because I'm too focused on myself, on the me. And once I am able to engage with someone else and ask how their day is going, what they're working on, and truly take the time to be in that moment, the chatter in my head dies down because my attention is now directed outwards at something and someone beyond myself. And while self-care and self-esteem is important, too much focus on the self can be fertile ground for anxiety and selfish behavior, intentional or not. There are two proverbs that I look to as little nuggets to remind me when my lens is zoomed in on the me. Let me share them with you. The first proverb is... You have two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in those proportions. Bombshell, I know. The second is, to listen well is as powerful a means of influence as to talk well, and is as essential to all true conversation. And you know what I mean. When you engage with someone and you know that they are just preparing their response to you, it doesn't allow for connection. It doesn't allow for the we to exist. It completely sucks the oxygen out of the room because you're like, okay, I'm just having a conversation with someone who wants to have a monologue. So if you came in as more of an individualist in that round one assessment, 
Dare to dial into the we. Remind yourself of that ear-to-mouth ratio, the two-to-one, and make sure that you're exercising your ears as much as you do your lips. The irony of me sharing this over a solo podcast episode is not lost on me, but trust, I make sure to give my ears plenty of exercise when I'm not recording an episode. Anyways, Flexing between individualism and collectivism is especially pertinent today because while it is so valuable to advocate for one's worth and to have the individualism to think for oneself, to question the status quo, those gains can either be amplified or discounted by collectivism. Understanding how our thoughts, actions, and behaviors play into the larger ecosystem and either perpetuating, deconstructing, or renovating the institutions that we live amongst. In closing, the Bay Brigade and Hot and Sour Soup for the Soul, this podcast, is grounded in the modus operandi and is greater than or. The multifacetedness of and beats out the restrictedness of or every time. The magic lives in the in-between, the shared spaces, in order to find that sweet spot. And it's different for all of us. It's a very personal calibration. But in order to get there, we need to assess where we are on that sliding spectrum, which is what we did together in part one of this episode. And to take time to note the value of being in that gray area. And finally, three, to set some goals for ourselves. To carve out a space in that in-between that is best suited for us and our community. Recognizing the value of both the we and the me. Rather than being prescribed an ideology and accepting it at face value because it's the environment that we grew up in. Take it the extra mile and customize it for yourself in a way that best serves you. Because true power is often in the in-between. Power is in paradox. Power can be, in our case today, in pronouns. And for us to achieve our mid and long-term goals, whether that be individually or as a community, sometimes we'll have to go fast and sometimes we will have to go far. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for being a part of the Bay Brigade and this mission to spotlighting those stories and narratives that mainstream media has been sleeping on while celebrating cross-cultural spaces and the power of and, quite literally. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe for more and to leave us a review. It helps us greatly with organic reach. And if you want more of The Bay Brigade, you can always find us on thebaybrigade.com or on Instagram at thebaybrigade.nyc. We love hearing from you, so drop us a DM, send us a good old-fashioned email, greetings at the Bay Brigade, and let us know what you want to hear more of and what your goals are in balancing between your, me, and we. Until next time, goodbye, zaijian, toodaloo.